it's recording. Do you think when you edit this, you can put in sounds of, of Greek sounds? Like the sounds of Greece. Yeah, the sounds of Greece. Like, I don't know what Greece sounds like. I've never been to Greece. Uh, me neither, actually. <laughs> like seagulls. They have seagulls there, right? Because they're right on the ocean. I guess so. Welcome to episode two. This episode is about cheese and religion. Ooh. Yeah. So the last time we left off on our story, we had just invented cheese. We just, we invented it. We invented, we as people, people in the Fertile Crescent had invented cheese. Um, And I hadn't really gone too much forward in the story. I mentioned very briefly at the end of the last episode that after acid coagulated cheese had been sort of on the market for a while, rennet coagulated cheese, which is that enzymatic curdled cheese, began to develop. And one of the first places we saw that was in the the Odyssey Mm -hmm. with Odysseus being attacked by that Cyclops, um, who was a cheesemaker. But before we even get to the Odyssey, cheese has played an important role in so many different ancient religions. So before we go to Greece, we've got to start out in Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia. Back to sixth grade social studies. There is going to be a lot of sixth grade social studies today in this episode. So uh, everybody, you know, have to mentally time travel back to when you were 11. (laughs) Megan's just crying now. (laughs) No, middle school is okay. Yeah, okay. So we're in Mesopotamia, and we're in the great city of Urk. Urk. U-R-U-K. I probably pronounced that incorrectly. Are people from Urk, Urks? They're such, such an Urk. I don't know. It's it's modern day Iraq. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Um, so the the city of Uruk, Urk, Urk um, had this goddess named Inanna. Nana. She was the uh, the goddess of erotic love. Oh, Nana. What's my name? Oh, Nana. She was also the goddess of the seasons and the harvest, and uh, the goddess of fertility. And the, the thing about Inanna, that's really, um, that's the reason why we're talking about her today, is that she loved cheese. Just like you. So Inanna was supposed to pick a husband, and she had two choices. She had uh, the shepherd, and she had the farmer. And when she was trying to decide, she thought, oh, I'm going to go with the farmer. That's who I'm going to choose. Because he can feed me. Well, yeah. Um, So the shepherd came to her, and the shepherd's name is Dumazi, the Dumazi the shepherd. And he confronts Inanna, and he gives her basically a pro-con list of reasons why she should choose him as the husband instead of Imikidu. I probably pronounced that incorrectly as well. The um, The farmer. And he said, okay, so the farmer guy, he can give you bread, and he can give you beans, and he can give you dates. But you know what I can give you? I can give you cheese, I can give you yogurt, I can give you butter, I can give you ghee, I can give you honey cheese, and small cheese. Small and cheese? I think when they're talking about small cheese, they just mean like tinier cheese. <laughs> Thanks for that explanation, Becky. So, because of his long list of reasons why uh, she should choose him, she chooses the shepherd to marry. Just because of the cheese. Yeah, she chooses him because of cheese. And so they get married, and what happens is that that ceremony uh, between the goddess and the shepherd becomes sort of ritualized in their culture. So every subsequent king in the great city of Uruk um, marries Inanna, the goddess, in this yearly ritual so that she will bless the harvest and uh, the, the great storehouse, which is, you know, the great 
technology that this um, civilization developed. The storehouse? The storehouse, yes. The storehouse was this technology they developed, and it allowed them to become a great city. How is it technology? Well, because no one had done it before. What would you call it? Is, uh, what is the storehouse? Oh, so it's storehouses. Um, they would basically take like taxes from the populace and store them into this big, huge warehouse so that in times of famine they could give it back. So it's Costco. <laughs> they invented Costco. Well, it's more like socialized Costco. Even better. Yeah. So, um, you know, the city grew to prominence and this goddess became very popular, um, That so much so that she was exported to different cultures. And Inanna um, became known as Ishtar, and then she became known as Astar. Eventually she moved up to Germany and then to the UK where she became known as Eastar, which, from which words we get... Easter? Easter and East. Oh. Yeah. So this goddess became really popular, this goddess of fertility, of love, um, who loved cheese. And all the priests would offer cheese at the altar for the the different iterations of this goddess throughout time. Um, And because of this, the priest started to grow a monopoly on sheep. So not only were they making enough cheese and butter to please their goddess, but they were also getting a monopoly on wool. So the religion grew to prominence and power because they had this income source. Writing was partially developed because of the great storehouse and because of trying to keep track of, uh, you know, the great surplus of goods they were creating. Eventually, this goddess, remember, we, she went through the different iterations. So she's uh, now she's Astar. She became worshipped by the the Phoenicians who then brought her to Greece where she was renamed Aphrodite. Oh! <laughs> yeah. So the goddess Aphrodite in the Greek pantheon came from that original cheese-loving goddess in ancient Mesopotamia. Wow. Uh, she wasn't the only god or goddess that was worshipped by cheese. Um, it was a really common practice. A lot of times, if you're really rich or you are trying to uh, worship for a specific reason, you're praying to the gods to have good luck in battle, you would kill an animal as a sacrifice. But for every day prayers, or if you were poor and couldn't afford to kill an animal every time you went to see the gods, you would offer them a bloodless sacrifice. And the bloodless sacrifice usually involved cheese. So throughout ancient history, we have a lot of gods and goddesses being worshipped with cheese. In the Hittite people, uh, when they wanted to get rid of a plague that was ravaging their land, they gave cheese to their gods, to their underworld god, Sandus. And they thought, okay, he, wasn't, he didn't get enough cheese. That was why we got the plague. Here's some cheese. Take away the plague. They thought that cheese could cure the plague. Well, I don't think so. It's, it's like praying to God, you know, with to cheese. Jay. That's how I pray all the time. <laughs> Always with cheese. Yeah. Um, So around this time, we're in the Bronze Age, the Late Bronze Age. We start seeing cheese in a lot of our ancient uh, monuments all over the world. So we see cheese in Egyptian pyramids. This is around circa 3000 BC. And we see cheese at Stonehenge. Uh, A lot of cheese was found in the remains of Stonehenge. How do you find the remains of cheese? Uh, Milk fat. So they were able to um, analyze the trace amounts of milk fat buried underneath the, the monument of Stonehenge. And they can tell that that's cheese mm-hmm. from milk fat? Yeah. 
So um, several different types of cheeses are now being developed as religions and cheeses are being spread throughout the known world. And we start to get harder cheeses. Uh, last week we talked about soft cheeses that kind of spoiled after a couple days. But um, we're starting to get the development of sailing and maritime trade. The development of what? Sailing. Sailing? Where? Oh, it's like on a boat. Okay. Yeah. So they're, they're, they're in a boat. Okay. Got and they it. travel across the Mediterranean to got another it. country. Got it. Okay. I great. know it's sailing. <laughs> I thought you said like saline, like, I don't know. Like salt solutions? Yeah. Well, interesting you bring up <laughs> okay, salt. no, no, no. <laughs> We are actually, because one of the reasons they could create these cheeses that could survive the maritime travels is because they started adding one important ingredient to their cheeses, and that was salt. Salt, yes. They started adding salt to their cheese. Um, And what, what salt does when you add salt to cheese is that it lowers the water activity. There's just no swimming, no diving. (laughs) <laughs> no no water, no jet skis. Yeah, they've canceled the water activities at camp, and now everyone's got to do uh, croquet? <laughs> Cro- <laughs> crocheting? Crocheting, that's what I was trying to they get. They to crocheting? Or they you mean like crochet. they hit the ball with the mallet? Either one. They have to do either one. They, they can't just, do they the water activity. can't get in the water. No, uh, water activity has to do with bacteria. So okay. when you have food that spoils, oftentimes it's because of some microorganism that's growing. And mm-hmm. microorganisms can be molds, like that moldy bread you get when mm-hmm. you leave it on the counter too long. Yeasts. Um, well, when are we going to talk about moldy cheeses? You're really impatient to jump Sorry. to the Middle Ages, aren't you? I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> That's Middle Ages. I um, didn't know that. And then microorganisms. And last week we talked about the good things microorganisms can do, but they can also do super bad things, and they can make you really sick. Mm-hmm. Um, so in order to not get any of these microbes growing, you add salt. And when you add salt, it makes an inhospitable environment for these microbes to grow. Um, it'll take a lot longer for them to spoil. Also, there'll be less water available for them to grow because it's lowered the water activity, which is the technical term for just basically reducing the amount of water available for a microbe to grow. How does the salt reduce the water? How does that happen? Um, Well, so water activity has to do with vapor pressure. If you put a food on a counter, it's going to start to evaporate. So the moisture inside that food, say, okay, say you take a cucumber, you slice it in half, and you put it inside of a Tupperware. Mm -hmm. What's going to happen is the water is going to evaporate off that cucumber and equilibrate with the surrounding temperature. So you're going to get a vapor pressure in the sealed container that's going to be equal to the water activity inside your cucumber. So they started making really hard cheeses, and uh, we start to get you know this in the the different archaeological records of um, soldier cheese. This, that was the technical name for it, soldier cheese. Soldier cheese? Soldier cheese. Like soldiers marching off to battle cheese? Uh-huh. So it was hard cheese that the way the soldiers would eat it is they'd like grate it, like, you couldn't just bite into it. It's too hard. You have to, like, grate it with, like, a stone or something rough and then put it in your other food. Okay. Or if it like got Parmesan. Really, or if it got really moldy, you'd cut off, yeah, like a hard cheese. Uh, if it got really moldy, you just cut off the mold part and eat the rest. So uh, it was cheese that could survive a long time. It was high in salt content, and it enabled maritime trade and enabled armies to travel further. Hmm. Which brings us to the, the very, the cheese that is quintessentially Greek, and that is... Feta? Feta cheese. So um, the Greeks eat more cheese than any other country in the world. Surprising. No, it's not. Well, okay. I, f- I feel like that would be France. France is known for their number of cheeses. Um, they and them in Belgium have more cheeses 
I think, than any other country, like per capita. But when it comes to eating cheese, the Greeks have everyone beat. But the reason that they eat more cheese than everyone else, but they're not in our minds associated with cheese so much, is because 75% of the cheese they eat is feta. And, um, you know, they, they eat 60 pounds a year. Nowadays, Greek citizens eat 60 pounds of cheese a year. Individually? Yeah. Over, yeah. Wow. It's uh, a lot of cheese. So the great thing about feta, feta cheese is, um, the, the name comes from the Italian word for slice, because unlike ricotta, when you cut it, it wouldn't completely fall apart. And it would be shipped, it would be um, rennet coagulated, there would be salt added, and then it would be shipped in a brine solution. And what the salt does when it's in the cheese is it causes um, the moisture to come out of the, the food, it causes the, to lower act water activity, and it, and it prevents the growth of microorganisms. As a quick refresher, can we go over what rennet is? Absolutely. So rennet is an enzyme that is naturally found in the stomachs of suckling ruminants. Suckling ruminants means baby cows, baby sheep, baby goats. Um, they have this enzyme in their stomach that enables them to clot their mother's milk and enables them to digest the food. If you kill a, a little baby animal, a little baby goat, and then um, slice open their stomach, you can remove the stomach and dehydrate it and extract the enzyme out and add that to your cheese. There are also enzymes that can act similarly to it that can be found in fig plants. So we're in Greece now. We're, we're eating a lot of feta cheese. Mm -hmm. um, Sounds great. And we're worshipping our different gods and giving them cheese to worship. The Greeks had their own minor god of cheese. They had a god of cheese? Uh-huh. They had a lot of minor gods that we don't really talk about, that we didn't learn about in our sixth grade social studies class. Mrs. Harris. <laughs> he was, um, so the, the minor god of cheese was Aristus. He was the god of shepherds and the god of cheese making, as well as the god of beekeeping and olive oil. He was the son of Apollo. And, uh, you know, he wasn't really much in much stories because he was a minor god. In, do you remember the, the city-state of Sparta in your sixth-grade social studies this class? This is Sparta! Yeah. So what was Sparta really well-known for? That movie. Um, think about in history class before that movie came out. What, was, what were they known for? Uh, fighting? Military? Yes. So Sparta was really well-known for its military force. And one of the reasons they had such a great military force is that basically when you were a young boy, you were forced to become a soldier. You went to soldier camp soldier school where you couldn't do any water activities <laughs> yeah i don't think they liked the water too much um so one of the things when you were training to be a soldier is that they actually underfed you on purpose they gave you less calories than you needed to survive with the understanding that you would go around and steal food to make up the rest of your diet seriously yeah and then if you were caught you were beaten not because you stole, but because you, you were caught. caught. And one of the places that Spartan soldiers liked to steal from the best was the Temple of Artemis, who is the goddess of the hunt. And she was well, uh, that temple in Sparta was well known for having a, a good supply of offerings. Offerings. What they were offering was not just cheese, but this cheesecake called Plakos. Okay. Which literally means flat cake <laughs> <laughs> flat cake um when the romans got to it 
when they, they got this dish, they called it placenta. <laughs> Seriously? Okay. Yeah. Um, you know the word placenta that we have for the afterbirth? Uh-huh. The, the full name is actually placenta uteri. Which means flat, flat cheese, cake, flat cake from your uterus. <laughs> okay. So oftentimes, when you see placenta or placos in you know the old literature, they mean any type of flat cake, um, and they do not mean afterbirth. <laughs> Good to know. I have made some in the oven, so I've made some placenta in the oven. You know, quick tip: do not Google image placenta <laughs> recipe. <laughs> It was it was a little horrifying. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. Um, so there are actually a lot of recipes for this in the old Roman, uh, you know, histories. And basically, what it is is it's spelt flour mixed with honey, mixed with uh, fresh cheese, and then baked oh. with bay leaves. Um, so we're gonna have some later. Okay. But uh, it was pretty delicious, and the the gods all loved it. In fact. When they gave this to Artemis, they put candles in the cake to symbolize the way their prayers were going up to heaven. And they would give this cake at weddings and birthdays. Oh, so that's where we get our birthday cake candles from. Sort of. Uh, What we consider a birthday cake today, it didn't really get invented until... Well, much right. later because the che- the cake you're talking about is more like a che- it's got cheese in it. It's a cheesecake. It's kind of like a savory, um, sweet cake, not like a chocolate. Yeah, because chocolate, cake. vanilla, and sugar are all new world things. So you know, not into we don't have chocolate, sugar, or vanilla in this world yet. No, oh, what a terrible world. So they just had the honey to sweeten everything. Yeah, th- okay. no, they didn't. That stuff didn't come to Europe until after the colonial expansion era. Oh wow. Uh huh. So yeah, that's where we get birthday cake. Oh wow. This type of meal was also given to athletes before the first Olympics so that they could compete and win. And there are some connotations with um, Asclepos, the god of healing, because he's uh, also a son of Apollo. And you remember in the very first episode where I gave an analogy of how coagulating occurred was very similar to blood clotting? Mm -hmm. That connection has actually been there since the beginning of recorded history. Um, A lot of people thought that you know, there was these ritualized methods of coagulating cheese in order to um, pray to the god of healing or talk about healing. Let's talk about feta cheese. So we have some feta cheese today. Um, feta cheese in Greece is traditionally made from sheep's milk cheese. So we don't, in uh, in the European Union, if you buy something that's called feta, feta cheese, it comes from Greece. It's sheep's milk. Or goat's milk. Um, but if you buy feta in America, it can be from anywhere. Wow. This cheese I got was imported from Greece. Oh, cool. Yeah. The salt changes the flavor a lot. So you'll notice that feta is going to be a lot more salty than the cheese we had the last time. Historically, it's uh, aged in birch wood barrels. Nowadays, it's too cost effective. Um, we use metal and plastic. And 85% of the feta produced is consumed in Greece. 85% of the world's feta is consumed in Greece? Wow. So let's try the feta, Okay. and you're going to describe what it tastes like. 
What does it smell like? Not good. <laughs> what what are, what are you seeing when you uh, look at that feta? It's a giant block of white cheese. It's very, it's very white, so we know it's kind of an unaged cheese. Yeah. That definitely tastes different than, like, the feta that you get at the grocery store. Is it more flavorful? Yeah, it's also definitely has more of a goat cheese taste. It's cheap. It's cheap. Yeah, Yeah, like it tastes. I feel like it's got more. It's more tart and it's got more of a flavor. The the feta that you get at Safeway is like pretty mild. Yeah, um, because that's made of cow's milk and it's it's not made. That's why I like it. You like the the really mild stuff. This kind of punches you in the face. I feel like that's really strong. I can't eat that just alone. It's a central component of a Greek salad. Yeah. I mean, I think that kind of cheese, you don't just eat it in a chunk. You sprinkle it on top of things. All right. That's everything. This has been an hour of cheese. Hasn't been an hour. It's been like probably 20 minutes. (laughs) You come up with a better closer. Uh... Cheese you later. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you want to talk to us, you can tweet at us. Although I don't really know how to use Twitter, but you can do that if that's what you want to do. Um, our handle is curdsandy, or you can email us at curdsandy at gmail.com. I will definitely read that. Um, special thanks again to our parents who, again, let us record this in their house, although they were on vacation, so <laughs> they didn't really care. And also special thanks to Sarah Lynn Rogers, who created the name curds and why for us because she is more clever than we are i hope you'll join us next week um uh well a week is a relative term but i hope you'll join us for the next podcast that we have which will hopefully be out in a relatively short amount of time